Well, you know, uh, all of our lives, we're taught to work hard, and uh, if we work hard for something, that we should be able to get it. And the, other, the flip side of that is if we have enough money, then we should be able to afford it. That's kind of like the American uh, way of life or the American work ethic. You, you work hard, uh, you, you stay focused, you can build a business, you can pursue your hopes and dreams and things can happen, you can excel and you can make a strong living. So, so we're kind of built as a people where uh, we spend our whole lives just working for things and uh, the harder we work, the greater reward of the things that we hope that we see the payoff for. Well, that's great, but it brings in a little bit of a complication when it comes to our relationship with God. Because uh, what we're going to find out as we talk a little bit today is that, that God is not into that, that we have to work uh, for God's approval, that we don't have to work uh, for God's um, uh, favor, that we don't have to work for uh, God's presence to be in our life. Now, God gives us everything that we have. So when you take a look at what you have, you know, your health, your life, uh, even the challenges that you've had in life or you've seen some huge growth from, um, if you're in a relationship, the person you're in a relationship with, your job, your home, uh, I'm a dog, we're dog people, so we have dogs. So God's blessed us with all of those things. And none of that is really on our own, but it, but it comes from God. So the word we're going to talk about today is a, is a central word uh, that is a real foundation to an unfailing truth to who we are as Christians. Uh, and that word is the word grace. So I'm hoping today that as we uh, talk about grace, that, that not only we can get a good definition of what it is, but, but that you, we can find a way to, to live through it, and we can find a way to, to embrace it. Now, grace has a lot of definitions, and depending upon you know, where you are in life and what you have or haven't been taught or what someone has said to you, you might have... Um, a different definition of grace. Grace is like what I would call like a diamond. It, it uh, is fashioned with many different kinds of sides to it, and, and it's just robust, and it's priceless. So here's a couple of uh, just quick definitions as we're kind of warming up with our thoughts this morning. Grace is God's love in action. That's a, that's a great definition of grace. Grace is God's love in action. Grace is when God gives me what I need, but not what I deserve, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, grace is anything that I desperately need, that I don't deserve, that I could never repay, but God gives it to me anyway. Now that's, that's another one that we're going to talk about this morning. So, so we can't earn it, we can't never repay it, but God just has this way of giving it to us. Here's another definition of grace. Grace is the face that God puts on when God looks at my failures, my faults, and my mistakes. I love that definition of grace. Grace is the face that God puts on when God sees my failures, my faults, and my mistakes. So let's kind of hold those uh, definitions in play as we talk about uh, grace, and more importantly, that, that grace is in reach, that we can reach grace, and grace can reach us. Uh, many of us confuse this uh, word grace with the word mercy. We, we think they're synonymous, but they really aren't. They're, they're two totally different words. They have uh, different definitions, and they come from different um, facets of life. So mercy, mercy defined is when God doesn't give me what I deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. If you've ever done anything wrong, um, I was the youngest of four boys growing up, and uh, I did a lot of stuff wrong when I was growing up. And, and my parents showed me mercy sometimes, sometimes, I'll underline that word, uh, because they didn't give me 
uh, what I deserve. So I kind of got, uh, got off scot-free. So that's mercy. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. Now here's, here's the definition of grace. Grace is a different definition. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. You see the difference in the two. Grace is what, when God gives you what you don't deserve. So all the things that we have in life, and I'm not talking about tangible things, so emotion, relationships, spiritual, soul, all that, all the things that we have in life in addition to tangible things are because of God's love for us and we receive it because of God's grace. So, so I have a, a, a real hope and prayer today. As, as we talk about grace and is grace reachable and is grace achievable and, and, and all those things, here's a couple things that I want to hold out there as we talk. Um, some of us may not have ever felt that we've experienced God's grace. So I'm hoping today it's a discovery process for you. I hope that we can discover what God's grace is, and more importantly, that you can see what it is and how it applies to you. I hope that today is a day that, that for some, that if you need to feel the love of God, I hope you feel it today. Sometimes we're in life and we just feel like God is so far from us. Uh, what it really is is that we're so far from God. And so I really want today to be a day that we draw closer and that we feel the love of God as we, as we move forward. So uh, what I thought we would do is, is talk a little bit about grace, and I'm a visual learner, so um, I want to use what's called an acrostic. An acrostic is kind of like a model. It's like a teaching method. So I'm going to use the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, and we're going to talk about what G means, R means, A means, C means, and E means. So uh, an acrostic, and I promise it won't take more than an hour and a half. Um, but so, so anyway, but uh, I was thinking about using that acrostic, and, and I, I was thinking about a story of a professor at the Yale University, and uh, the professor was really excited. He had all the, the incoming students that came together, and, and as they were all gathered, he decided he would use an acrostic to teach them what Yale means, you know, Y-A-L-E. So he begins to use this model, and he says the Y is youth, the A is attitude, the L is loyalty, the E is enthusiasm. Well, that would have been great, but he spent 30 minutes on each letter, 30 minutes on the Y, the A, the L, and the E. So after his two-hour talk to this incoming student body, he walked over to a couple of students, and he was just so full of himself, like, hey, didn't you think it was great? I used that acrostic. Now you know what Yale means, and, and what do you think about that? And one kid looked at him and said, you know what? I'm just thankful I don't go to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. <laughs> so, so we're not going to spend a lot of time, but we're going to spend good time. Um, so, so just bear with me, because this is really important, and I hope that, and I want to encourage you, that if you're note takers, take some notes. Um, I have always found that, that when I go to conferences and I hear other preachers and speakers and things like that, I love to take notes because I love to take and, and go back and I like to, to revisit it. So maybe this will be some things for you to revisit. So what is grace? Let's start with G. Grace is God's gift to me. It's, it's the grace, it's the gift of God. Um, if I were to ask 10 people, uh, how do you think that we get to heaven? I'd get a bunch of answers. But more importantly, I probably would get some consistent answers, and those consistent answers would be, well, if I'm a good person, then I'll go to heaven. If I don't do bad things, then I'll get to heaven. If I help people out, then I'll go to heaven. If I speak nicely to others and treat them the way that I want to be treated, then I'll get to heaven. And we begin to start adding up all of these good deeds and good works and things that says that if I just do all these good things, then God will show favor upon my life. 
And, and why do we think that? Well, that's the way the world thinks. The world programs us into thinking that. Most of the world thinks that, that, that we get into heaven by just being good people, by being nice people. Most of us think that, that hey, if I were to evaluate my life, most of us would say, hey, I, I think I'm good enough to be, be good before God, but I want to be bad enough, just enough, to have a little bit of fun. And so we, we, we have to keep those things in balance. But here's the problem. The problem is this. None of us, listen to me, none of us has a snowball's chance into being a part of what Jesus describes as heaven to be if we try to do it ourselves. We just can't do it. None of us is perfect enough. We are not perfect enough to, to seek entrance into the perfect place. It requires God's grace to be a part of that. The writers of the New Testament, they walked with Jesus, they hung out at the campfires, uh, they, they listened to his you know, jokes of the day and things like that, and, 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 but then they also saw some pretty powerful things. They, they, they heard his teaching in the synagogue, they heard his teaching when the crowds of people had gathered like at the, the feeding of the 5,000 of the Sermon on the Mount. They saw him perform miracles, they saw all of these things that happened. So they knew that when they were with Jesus, they were with somebody that was really connected with the kingdom of God. And they began to live into that. And they saw firsthand how Jesus related to others. And if we read the scriptures, we find out very clearly how Jesus relates. In fact, Jesus was the one who opened up his arms and opened up his heart to all the misfits and toys that Santa's kingdom could possibly produce. And Jesus said, you all are welcome with this. They, the disciples also recognized that, that this thing called grace wasn't anything they could buy. They never saw Jesus transacting grace for money. The apostle Paul was somebody who, who thought he knew the grace of God, but he did. He was an enemy of Christianity. And if there's anybody who could talk about grace of God as an authoritarian figure, it would be, as an authority figure, it would be the Apostle Paul. So Paul writes this in his letter to the church in Rome. He said, it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. So all of those things that people have been taught, that we work our way into the favor of God, that we work our way into the love of God, that if we just do so much that God's gonna shower us with his love, Paul says that it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise Grace is no longer grace. So Paul is seeing the life of Jesus, and Paul is witnessing what he knows the life of Jesus to have been in his interviews with the apostles like Peter and, and with John and, and with Matthew and the others. And Paul writes these words. It's a free gift. Now, this is a fundamental difference between Christianity and every other world religion. So whether we look at Judaism, Islam, uh, Taoism, Buddhism, uh, uh, you know, whatever, Confucianism, any of the world religions, all world religions except Christianity believe that the disciple has to work their way into the favor of God. If I'm, a, if I'm practicing in, uh, in, the, in the religion of Islam, I have seven things that I have to do. And, you know, I have to, I have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. I, you know, the Hajj, all, all these things, I have to bow down in prayer and all those kinds of things. And so, so all world religions, it's all about the believer or the disciple having to do. If we do these things, if you ascribe to these things, then God's favor will be upon you. Christianity is the only world religion that doesn't operate that way. Christianity says 
that we receive the grace of God not by what we do, but by what God has done in Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, something was done. God didn't look at us and say, well, you have to do all these things and jump through all these hoops in order to receive my grace. Um, it, you know, Jesus went to the cross and said, it is now done. I have taken away your sins and all can be wiped clean. Paul writes in Romans, all of us need to be made right with God. But how? He says it's by his grace. And we need to remember that word. How are we made right by God? By God's grace. So it's something of God that makes us right with God. It's not anything we do. It's what comes of God. And then Paul says it's an expensive gift. It's an unapproachable gift. It's a monetary. He says it's a free gift. So it's a free gift through Jesus Christ. So, so we see that, that basically it's nothing that we can do, but it comes from Christ. So that's G for grace. The R is, is, is received by faith. That grace is received by faith. Grace is received by faith. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't deserve it. Uh, we don't do a bunch of things. Paul, again, writes to the church in Ephesus. And remember, this is a guy who really could understand about the grace of God because he realized that God's transforming grace through Jesus, the risen Jesus, totally changed his life. Paul says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. So do you see the theme that he's going with this? It has nothing to do with what we do. And, and listen, you know, some of you might be thinking like, okay, Bob, you're, you're beating it to, to a yeah, dead horse here. We've got to get this because there's so many of us who don't understand this. We don't understand that it's a free gift, and that's why I want to spend some time with it. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that none can boast. Can you imagine that, that if it was this competition, I mean, that we had to work for the grace of God and the things that we did? It's kind of like that bumper sticker, you know, smile, God loves you, but he loves me more, you know? I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, we'd be boasting and we'd be competing, but, but it's, it's free. Paul says people receive God's promise by having faith, and this happens so that the promise can be a free gift. So faith is the component that comes from God. Why do we have faith? Because God generates faith. God places that out there and we ascribe into it. So salvation is not based upon my performance. It's not based upon a promise. It's, not ba it's based upon a promise, not uh, based upon a merit. It's based upon God's mercy, but salvation is not based upon my goodness. It's based upon God's grace. Now, the scripture is full of uh, stories about the significance of God's grace. Here's just a couple of them. The first one is that, that we learn about is the story of what's called the Good Samaritan. We find this in the gospel writings. A man is traveling on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He befalls to, to um, robbers. They strip him naked. They beat him to a pulp. They steal everything that he has. And all these religious people come by. They will have nothing to do with this man crying out in pain. But one man that they call the Good Samaritan comes in and helps the man, binds his wounds, takes him to his favorite um, hotel and says at the Ritz-Carlton, pay for whatever he needs, whatever it is, room service, whatever. If he needs a doctor 24 hours, here's my gold American Express card, just take care of it, I will settle the bill. That's basically what he said. So that's, that's one, and that's a, that's a story of God's grace. God is the man who saved and showered grace upon the befallen. Here's another one, you know, the prostitute. The prostitute um, whom Jesus forgave and then defended publicly. Did she deserve that? No, she didn't deserve that. But he did it because he wanted to show grace. 
And here's probably a, the, a great one that many can relate to. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, there's three stories of lost, a coin, a sheep, and a son. And uh, I'm going to talk about the third story. That third story is the lost son. And this is a story of God's grace. This son comes to his father one day, and he says, Father, I want my inheritance. And basically, he was not the firstborn, so he was going to get one-third of everything that the father owned upon the father's death. And the father looks at his younger son and says, but do you understand what this means? And really what the son was saying to his father was, I just want you dead so I can have my money. And so the father looks at his son in love and shows grace, and the father begins to liquidate his assets. Now, I don't know about your finances, but I know mine, and I would have to liquidate things that I own in order to amass my wealth. And then I could give it to my children. So, so it takes time. So you can understand the extent that this father is willing to go to help his son receive the gift that he has promised him. The son gets the third of the wealth. He runs away from the father's home, goes into a foreign land, and he begins to spend all of his money, excuse the word, on hookers and all sorts of other things. That's what the Bible says. And he comes back and he has no money. Walks up to the ATM machine, puts his card in, Puts in his four-digit pen. No money will come out. He's flat broke. He begins to say, wait a minute, this is wrong. In fact, you know, the slaves uh, uh, probably have greater favor in my father's house than I do. If my father would maybe even re-accept me as one of his slaves, I, might, I should just go back. And then he finds out that he's eating worse than the hogs that he feeds every day. So he makes his way back, and he's researching in his mind, what am I going to tell my father? What am I going to tell him? Am I just going to beg for forgiveness? Am I just going to throw myself on his sword? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the story tells us about God's grace. The story says, before the son even got into distance near the father, the father saw his returning son. Now back then, you know, the men, they, and I guess they still do, they wore little dresses. I don't know what they're called, but can you imagine? He pulls it up, and he's running, eh, you know, like a little girl, and going, and it was not something kosher, no, not the wrong thing, but anyway, it wasn't the right thing for um, the father to do because it would have been an insult, but he pulls up uh, his wares, and he runs, and he catches his son. Now, what does the father do? Does the father condemn his son? Does the father say, I told you so? Does the father say, you son of a, you know what, what'd you do, and whatever? No. The father says, bring out the best robe. Bring out the signet ring. The signet ring was what the family owned. It was like a credit card. It represented the family's wealth. Put it on my son's finger. He can have whatever he wants. And that fatted calf that we've been holding, you know, heck with a, with a, with a sheep and the mutton. Let's, let's, let's slaughter the fatted calf. My son has returned home. He's lost. This is God's grace, folks. This is God's grace. God does not rub it in. God rubs it out. And so these are some significant things that we need to understand. Now, God's grace is also available to everybody. It's available to everybody. This is what the A stands for, available to everyone. What does that mean? God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't look at somebody who's been a believer all of their life and someone who's kind of scratching the surface and not sure. God doesn't say, I'm going to give more grace to the more seasoned believer, uh, Basically, God doesn't show favorites. It's, his love is unconditional, and that means that God's grace is available. God's grace is available for everyone. So whether you're a long-term believer or whether you're new, you have the same grace that God gives someone who's been in the faith uh, uh, much longer than you. He showers that grace upon you. 
Now, some, I've, I see some new faces. Some of you are here for the first time. Welcome this morning. We're glad you're at St. Paul. St. Paul is a, is a church of grace. And we, we welcome you and want you to come back and to experience. And we want you to know that, that you, know, you don't have to be a member here to accept God's grace and to receive it. But God's grace is available for you. Here's the C. It's a commitment and it comes through Christ. It comes through Christ. Grace comes through Christ. It writes, Luke writes in Acts, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we were saved. Now notice that it's very specific. It's not through my bank account. It's not through my assets. It's not through my spouse. It's not through anything else. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Someone asked me one time, why is it you Christians say that it comes through Jesus only? Well, the only thing I could think of was pretty simple. No one else died for my sin, but he did. I don't see you ready to die for my sin. I'm not ready to die for your sin. I'll pray for you, love you, and nurture you through your brokenness, but I'm not sure I'm ready to make that commitment to just die for you right now. I'm just being honest, and you wouldn't do that for me, but Jesus did. And so, so when we put it in that perspective that, that Jesus made the choice to go to the cross to die for our sins, that that's how we know it comes through Christ. And we know that, that, that grace is expensive because it costs Jesus' life. And that's why we should never accept or dole out cheap grace. That dishonors God. Jesus paid the price. Somebody had to pay for it, and he did. Paul writes in, in Romans again, many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And that's a phrase that we see a lot in the Bible. In fact, it's 120 times in the scriptures, the phrase in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? When we are in Christ, it means that we are surrendering ourselves and we are literally putting on the clothes of Jesus. Think about that image. So you're undressing yourself of all of the earthly wares and you're putting on a regal robe of Jesus. You're in Christ. So when we are in Christ, we are close to the heart of God. Here's an example. Let's just say that this piece of paper represents all the things in my life. Uh, let's just say it's all the bad things in my life. Notice it's a very small paper. Uh, <clears throat> and let's say that the Bible here represents God, okay? So, so in my life, um, right now this is whole, but, but then things happen in my life. So let's say that I, um, uh, I get angry at my wife. You know, there's, there's a, it creates a terror, a rupture in my life. Let's say that I say something bad to somebody. Uh, maybe I commit a sin by omission, knowing I should do the right thing, but I just, just don't want to do it, so I do nothing. That's omission. Um, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'm thinking the wrong thoughts. These are, these are more fractures and tears in my life. Let's say that um, someone comes to me in need and I just like blow them off because, well, I don't want to, I want it all for me and not for you. So you see, in life, every day we have these tears and all of a sudden our life really isn't whole again. Um, you know, I, I know what the right thing to do is and the right path, but I take the wrong one. So our whole life is just based upon, you know, choices and things. And at the end of the day, all the choices that I've made really represent these torn pieces of paper. And that, that's the result of my life right there. It's not whole anymore, is it? So when we're in Christ, so if the Bible represents Christ,
gone. My brokenness is hidden. But more importantly, my brokenness is hidden because it's shrouded by Christ. So when God looks at me and when God looks at you, and trust me, I'm not the only one who has a life like that. I know you all do too. But when God looks at us, God doesn't see all of our faults. God says, when you're in Christ, this is how I see you. You're enveloped in that. So that's important for us to understand that when life is in shambles and in a big mess, Peter, um, the, the apostle, writes this. He says, Jesus has the power of God. His power has given us everything that we need to live and to serve God, and we have these things, not because we deserve it, there it is, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, there it is again, not because we're good enough, there it is, but because, not because we're worth it, but because we, what, know him. This is why it's important for us to have a relationship with with the Lord. Because when we know him, we accept his grace. When we know him, we understand the grace of God. Grace is, is all that God is able to do on the basis of what Jesus did on the basis of the cross. So grace is defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. This is something that we have to grasp, and, and I really hope that, that you're gonna grasp, if you can grasp what we're talking about with grace today, this will literally change your life. Listen to what the writer of Lamentations, you know, Lamentations Um, Don't be afraid to read Lamentations. It's in the Old Testament. Um, Lamentations are are great, and it's not just like, oh, who wants to read like Debbie Downer, and if your name's Debbie, I'm sorry, but who wants to read that about, you know, blah, blah, blah. Lamentations is, is crying out to God. Folks, part of our journey is we lament. So here's what the writer says. And in these lamentations or in these lamenting moments is hope. If there is one ray of hope, his compassion never ends. God's compassion never ends. It's, the, it's only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is God's faithfulness. His loving kindness begins fresh each day. My soul claims the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is wonderfully good for those who wait for him, to those who seek after him. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is it that you're ashamed of? What is it that you're struggling with? What is it that is that secret amongst all secrets that that you're afraid that if anybody knew that about you, that nobody would like you, love you, care about you? Today's the day I want you to let those things go. We're not gonna have public confessions, but what I want you to do is whether it's here or whether it's at home or sometime this week, I would encourage you to do it today. Have this conversation with God. God, I wanna be like Jesus. I, don't, I know my life is torn up, it's broken, it's in pieces, but I know you are the bedrock of everything. And allow God's grace to change and transform your life. Here's the last one, E. It's extended throughout eternity. It's extended throughout eternity. You know, what's heaven gonna be like? Heaven's gonna be like, as, as we read through the scriptures, it's a place where we're all gonna be united. So those that we love who have died before us, we're gonna see them again. Heaven's a big place, folks. It's not meant to keep people out. There's not a wall around heaven that says you can't come in. Heaven's a big place. And believe it or not, God wants all of us to be with him. God's not doing a litmus test of who is and who isn't. You, you're in, you're out, and all that. 
God, God really wants all of us to be reconciled to him. And that's the Father's heart of love. The prophet Isaiah says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. So God is saying to us, it's time to come home. It's time to, to, to leave all of the baggage behind. It's time to come home. Whatever your past is, whatever my past is, the scripture says if we just say to God, if this was wrong in our life, I don't want it. It grieves me, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, remove it from my life. It's done. There's no bartering or begging or anything. It's done. It's done. In fact, the word says it's cast as far as the east is from the west, and it's remembered no more. Isn't that what you want? It's what I want. So today, as, we're, as we think about this relationship that we have with God, you know, we have to call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for you and me, paid the price, did it unconditionally. So today, if you're holding on to something, today's the day for you to let it go. If today's the day that you're now wanting more of God's grace, today's the day to begin that journey. But I also want, as we close with this final song, uh, before we get to that final song, I want us to pray a prayer together. And I want us to kind of bring this together. So if you would just uh, close your eyes, if you would just pray these words after me. Dear God, I'm so grateful that you love me. I realize that I could never be perfect enough to earn a place in heaven. I realize that the only way I'll get in is by your grace. Forgive me for thinking that I could be good enough on my own. And thank you that you give me what I need, not what I deserve. Jesus Christ, thank you for paying for my forgiveness. Thank you for paying for my salvation on the cross. I want to spend the rest of my life telling others about the good news of your grace, that we can be forgiven of our past, that we can have a purpose in the present, and then in our future we will join with you in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.